0: Welcome to the Waves Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and this week, women's voices. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing that we cannot get off of our minds. And today, you've got me, Daisy Rosario. I'm senior supervising producer of audio here at Slate. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by author Alyssa Bassist. She is the writer behind a new book called Hysterical, which talks all about her own personal experience with losing and finding her voice. And in the process of writing that book, she did a lot of research on women's voices, which she presents in the book as a series of essays. So I'm very, very excited to talk to her. After the break, I'm going to be joined by Alyssa Bassist. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show, and we really hope that you are, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out on Thursday mornings. And while you're there, check out our other episodes, too. Recently, we've been talking about Britney Spears and why her fans need to just give her some space, co-ed sports, and why the government wants to know your sex. Today, I am joined by Alyssa Bassist, who wrote this incredible book, Hysterical, which is many things, which is part of what is fantastic about it. It's a memoir. It's a bit of a medical mystery. It is a history of women's voices and not just literal voices, but communication and the way we communicate. And so we will be talking to her today about women's voices. I am so excited to hear her actual voice. Alyssa Bassist, welcome to The Waves. Thank you so much for having me. I just have to say, I loved this book. It's it's really fantastic. And uh, I'm almost too excited uh, in that way that I get when something is so good that it gets all the synapses firing. I could talk to you about so many, many parts of this book, but I would love to just hear from you a little bit about how it came together, because it is a story about something that genuinely happened to you combined with incredible research, you know, historical research, sociological research, media research, I mean, just so many different things. Um, So can you just give our listeners a sense? Because they absolutely need to pick up this book. We're not even going to touch a 20th of what I loved about it. Um, But yeah, let's give us give our listeners a little bit of an idea of kind of how you came to this process with this book.
1: So the book took me 11 years only to write. I started it in 2010 and I started it because Cheryl Stray told me to. She told me to write like a motherfucker. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. I actually couldn't do it (laughs) for many, many years. So I had wanted to write a book my whole life, but I didn't think I had anything to write about and I didn't think anybody would care And of course, this was a lot of internalized misogyny. Thank you. All I could do was write about my obsessions. And I was really obsessed with television and media as a fan and as someone who felt really misrepresented by it. So that's where I started. And then I also was very obsessed with all my ex-boyfriends and all my ex-bosses and Then, years into the writing process, I got sick and I gave up writing forever because I had a new goal, which was just to survive. And I didn't plan on writing about being sick until years later. And I only felt motivated to do it because I was obsessed again with how doctors had treated me. And I saw so many overlaps with how doctors. Boyfriends, bosses, society, media, every entity in the world responded to me and how I responded to them and how I warped my voice and distorted my personality in order to appeal to them, to be loved by them, to be saved by them. And it was at my own expense. And a part of solving my medical mystery had to do with my voice, no spoilers, and how I was unable to speak up for myself everything that I was repressing, and how I caught myself feeling more scared of hurting a doctor's feelings than dying. And I think a lot of women will relate to that
0: sense. Um, Just to give anyone listening enough of a backstory that that they can follow what we're talking about, you had an experience which I related to deeply, and I'm sure many, many women also relate to, which is that you you had a lot of physical ailments, you were having pains, you were having, you know, discomfort, you were having all of these different things. I mean, there's so many words for what you were experiencing, because it's not just the physical pain. Um, But you would go to doctors, and they'd run tests, and they wouldn't find anything. It would be inconclusive. And they would tell you, well, it's probably nothing or, you know, and um, I have an autoimmune disease. So like many people with an autoimmune disease, I also went to doctors for many years who either told me it was nothing, or diagnosed me with what they thought was the simplest explanation and then whatever the treatment was for that would invariably do nothing at all <laughs> and they'd kind of tap out and then I would go find yet another doctor to start the process with again um so even though you know we're not getting into the specifics of your ailment i think many women in general can relate to that feeling to that experience and also of softening your language And your expression of your pain um, and and trying to make it so that you don't sound like too much.
1: Exactly. I was so concerned with annoying them, pushing them too far so that they would ghost me. And many of them did. I was embarrassed about being in so much pain. I underrated my pain so I wouldn't frustrate or confound these doctors whose job it was to heal me. At the same time, they weren't listening to me. I wasn't listening to myself and I was my own lowest priority. And I went to over 20 medical professionals and amateurs and most of them said nothing was wrong with me and looked at me like I was air quotes crazy and that it was all in my head. And they often referred me to a psychiatrist and gave me a prescription for anxiety or depression And oddly enough, that was part of the problem because this experience, as every experience living in a patriarchy is demoralizing, depressing, anxiety inducing, traumatic.
0: Alyssa mentioned that Cheryl Strayed told her to write like a motherfucker. If that sounds familiar, please definitely go check out the Slate Plus segment because we'll be talking more in depth about that. Um, But again, I want people to read the book. And what we want to talk about right now is women's voices specifically. I mean, part of again, what I enjoyed so much about this book is that you really used this experience as a jumping off point to learn so many details about so many things in terms of how women communicate. And obviously, as someone who is frequently on podcasts and and works behind the scenes on podcasts, this is something that has come up for me a lot as well. I will definitely tell you that it is true. The number one email or comment that comes in at every place I have ever worked has been some kind of criticism of the voice, the actual voice, the quality and the timber and the delivery of various women's voices. So your book goes so much more wonderfully in depth, but you've learned a lot about just this topic in particular through the writing of your book. So I'd love to, you know, hear from you a little bit more about what you learned. There was even a mention in your book that that you said that uh, an NPR co-host told you that a lot of the women in the industry would take lessons to kind of bring their voices down. I've I've worked quite a bit in public radio. It's definitely not something that I witnessed, but uh, that's not something that I witnessed in the sense of seeing women literally go sign up for things, but watching women as they would prepare themselves behind the microphone to try to get their voices deeper. Or if I think about the direction that I've watched people give to women when they are recording their voices. I mean, all of this, it just tracks. I mean, what are some of the things that you were really surprised to learn as you studied this in particular?
1: So it started from a place of Me wondering why I hated my own voice and why that felt instinctual to distrust it, to be annoyed by it, to think no one wanted to hear it. And then also as a listener, I feel very annoyed by women's voices and I had to question why, like why? And it felt so much just like a repeated anger and hatred that I had absorbed from a lifetime of listening to men narrate everything because I've been a teleholic since birth. I've I'm used to the male voice and not the female voice. Um, And then I started doing research and I found starting with like Margaret Thatcher and I'm sure it went before her. She took voice lowering lessons in order to be taken seriously And we see this also in Elizabeth Holmes, who warped her voice in order to attract investors. And I had a friend of a friend who works at NPR. And I spoke to a few NPR radio hosts who all concurred the hate mail they received about their voice only, and how they took voice lowering lessons in order to avoid hate mail, but you can never avoid it. And and this trend has been true since the invention of radio where men spoke, people did not like when women were on the radio, they sounded stupid in their opinion. And this was their opinion. It's not that women sounded stupid. They thought women sounded stupid. There was like that important important note of differentiation. We just don't trust the female voice. We don't believe it has any authority or expertise. We are seeing now like we believe we're approaching equality or some people believe this because we see a few more women on screen. We hear a few more diverse voices on the radio, but by and large, the statistics are still so skewed. Women, especially women of color, black women, Asian women are so rarely the protagonist of news stories unless they're being murdered or raped. We just so often hear deafening silence when it comes to women's voices, their stories, their experiences, their politics, everything about them. And when we do hear from them, it's grating, it's nasally, it's too high, it's too much. We can't stand it. We don't want to hear it. And like the vitriol people feel is so strong. It's it's incredibly strong. You can really see the
0: way that it comes through. Uh, you may have caught this tweet from Jane Lynch a few months ago. I love women. I am a woman. Our voices are higher than men's voices. Women's voices can get into the annoying area if it gets too high. If you're doing a podcast, consider lowering your pitch a tad. If you think I'm being sexist about this, then I don't know what to do with you. Like, just because you are saying this thing doesn't make it automatically not misogynistic because you are yourself a woman.
1: Right. It's just something she had internalized and was repeating without interrogating it. And she truly believes that women need to work harder to be heard and no one else needs to work harder to listen to women in a more diplomatic way. We just put so much on women to change and adapt and so little on the audience to not give us death threats.
0: I also would say I'm someone who has received, I'm making air quotes that you can't see. I'm someone who has uh, received compliments on my voice. But one thing that I noticed, I think as someone who also was more behind the scenes, because I do a lot of guest hosting, but I I don't usually just host a show, um, is that I started to realize that a lot of these came in in a very like I prefer her voice to these other female voices that you've had in the past. And, you know, it even happened pretty recently. It's something I work on here at Slate. And I think for me, if it wasn't that I already had experienced as a kid, the kind of like, oh, you're smart in a way that I don't expect for like an Afro-Latina kid from poverty to be, I would have maybe taken those as real compliments, Um, I would have taken these things about my voice as actual compliments. But what I saw immediately to me was this is not really a compliment about me. This is you finally had something to point to that made you feel better about saying you didn't like the other thing. And I feel like that just happens so much with women, whether it's our voices or just the way that we express ourselves in different ways, which, again, is one of the things I love about the book. It's not just about your literal voice. It's about the way that we communicate and how even, you know, The Internet has complicated um, all of that because it's given us so many places to communicate in different ways. Um, But I feel like that ends up being part of it is that, you know, then women also get played against each other in this.
1: Yes. I mean, I'm like nodding my head so vigorously to everything you're saying. Um, I like the outlier compliment is something I chased for so long to be like, you're not like other girls you're actually more like a dude. And I tried to change myself and my voice and my outfit and my demeanor and everything about my personality so that I would get those outlier compliments, which was just another form of girl hate crime, women hating and so on. And yeah, now we have social media where no one has to listen to our voice but they can hate our words and our opinions and our thoughts and our feelings just as much. And like, to me, social media has always felt like this long con of give us the tools to communicate and then ask us to please get raped for communicating. And then to see how much we hate on each other is so upsetting. Like we don't even like need sexist men almost, almost,
0: We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how the fear of scrutiny over our voices silences women in ways that we didn't imagine. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. As I mentioned earlier this week, Alyssa and I are going to talk about Alyssa being the inspiration for the Cheryl Strayed quote, write like a motherfucker. <laughs> Right now, for a limited time, you can get six months of Slate Plus for just $29. That's 50% off. As a member, you'll get no ads on any of our podcasts, unlimited reading on the Slate site, and member-exclusive episodes and segments from our show and other shows, like Slow Burn and the Culture Gap Fest. Slate's podcasts cover major news events, from elections to social issues to historic court decisions, Our shows also discuss what makes a song a smash, analyze what's going viral, and decode cultural mysteries. If we've become a part of your listening routines, we ask that you support our work by joining Slate Plus. Sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash the waves plus to access all Slate's content and support our work. Again, that's just $29 for six months through October 28th. So sign up now at slate.com forward slash the waves plus. Welcome back to The Waves. I am here and overly excited to be talking with Elizabeth Sist. And we're talking about her new book, Hysterical, and how society treats women's voices, both literal voices, and their ability to be heard in general. There are multiple things in your book that I highlighted. And one of the lines that I loved, because it hit me like a ton of bricks, was being socialized is almost like being gaslit into mental illness. And that's how it feels when you're watching, you know, kind of women attacking each other by using the logic of misogyny or kind of the, you know, outright culture of misogyny that we've grown up in to kind of use against each other. I remember having conversation in like 2016. It was more 2017. It was after Trump was already in office, but I was having a conversation with some friends about politics, as you do at a bar, we're chatting. And, um, I remember, you know, talking to someone about how much I had learned about Hillary Clinton and kind of realizing that in the era I had grown up in, like I did have some legitimate critiques, but that there also was a lot of misogyny that I had digested without realizing it and was just kind of spitting back out, um, the way that you do when that's what you know. And I remember he said to me, like, I think I can tell the difference about whether I like her, about whether I just like dislike her policies or whether I dislike her for misogynist reasons. And then the other person we were hanging out with showed up. And so we got cut off. But what I wanted to say in that moment was I can't trust that I do that myself. So how can I trust you to do it, dude? Like, that is something that I have to actually still question about myself constantly. And I'm someone who comes from, you know, many different backgrounds that are, you know, not the main. And, and and yet I still have to check myself on these things constantly. So how can you sit there and just tell me that you definitely don't have to be worried about these things, that you know exactly where the differences lie?
1: My number one fantasy is to hear from a white man what you're saying which is I don't know and I suspect I'm a part of the problem and that I suspect that I don't know everything I think I know. Just like just allowing that you don't know definitively and that you have been subject to forces beyond your control that have shaped you indelibly because it's the air that we breathe. And I just wish more people would cop to the fact that they have all these biases and then we can have a conversation and then we can actually change and then things can actually get better. And I'm so proud of myself (laughs) that I can listen to a woman and be like, I hate her voice and then be like, why do I hate it? I don't hate it. It's the people have told me
0: to hate it. You know, I'm sure that there's probably somebody listening to this Right now, even that is like, these are great points, but I still hate how Kim Kardashian speaks, you know, like I still hate vocal fry um, or things like that. I mean, I will say, you know, I know I'm going to say like a lot in this, you know, recording and things like that. And those are things that I've worked really hard to let go of is, you know, I'm like, we're making conversational shows. I want things to sound the way conversation sounds. People do not speak that cleanly and you know, without pauses and things. And yes, if they go on too long, we'll clean them up a little bit to make it nicer for the listener. But ultimately, I just feel like that, you know, the standards that we hold each other to are also so defined by like, where are we doing this? How are we doing this? Like, what is acceptable in this circumstance that won't be acceptable in another? And the fact of the matter is, me saying like doesn't actually mean that I haven't done all the things that I've done. I'm not going to stress myself out anymore trying to not say like sometimes when that is a thing that people say in normal speech.
1: And if you stop saying like, you would in some essence be censoring yourself. You would just be policing your own self to the point where you would probably just stop saying certain things because you're afraid of saying like in between. Like, that's what happened to me is in order to be the perfect speaker, I stopped speaking Because I was so annoyed with myself and other people expressed to me that they were so annoyed with me that I was like, the solution is to stop talking. And then that ended up making me sick. And that's not the solution. And you're right about the level of scrutiny. We know Kim Kardashian's voice is annoying because we have so many descriptors of what makes a woman's voice bad. But we don't have the same number of descriptors for what makes a man's voice bad. We don't scrutinize it like we do a woman's voice. We don't call out their tics. We don't call out their cadence issues. We only focus on women's voice issues like exclusively. And we could talk all day about vocal fry up talk and everything. But like, what's a what's what are the words for what a man does? I can't think of one.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think. Right. We would automatically go towards some of the same things that we use with women's voices. And that would probably also be in a way to paint it as that being part of the issue with that person's voice. His voice would be weak, maybe.
1: I think men also do devil's advocating. I think that's something we can call out. (laughs) Opining, pontificating. They can sound too nasal. I feel like we celebrate them for it. Like, we celebrate Ira Glass. Many of us celebrate Tucker Carlson for some reason. Like, he still has a show. Like, they can be as annoying as they want to be, and they still will get paid millions and have a broad audience.
0: Honestly, Alyssa, I could talk to you about this all day, but we do have to wrap up, I guess. My last question for you would be, because people, again, go read this book, go buy Hysterical. It is recently released. It came out in September. Go get it. What is the big thing that you'd wish that you could tell women or even just like femme presenting people, honestly, about their voice? You know, to what, what do you want people to know from everything that you've learned?
1: I think for us, it boils down to risk and we need to risk speaking up for ourselves and I say risk because it's something I learned in therapy where our fear systems are so out of whack and for very good reason, because we are constantly threatened, or at least there's the threat of violence. We live with that in our every interaction. So our fear system is highly attuned that anything we say or do could get us in trouble. So it becomes a matter of retuning your fear system so risk being perceived as a bitch risk being perceived as annoying risk being perceived as bossy bitchy nasally whatever anyone would call you risk them thinking that just so you can say what you want to say and stand up for yourself advocate for yourself have other people hear you as opposed to muting yourself to make other people comfortable, because a lot of times what we're risking will not come to pass. And so often when I tell myself, risk upsetting this barista by asking a question, usually that person is not upset by me asking a question that I needed to ask. Like, does this have an element that I'm allergic to, that will kill me. Um, (laughs) And we're just so afraid of being annoying that we risk our lives, we risk our health, we risk our preferences. We forget that we're a person in an interaction too and that potentially annoying someone else is not a big deal. And it's okay to risk their potential annoyance if it's in favor of your comfort, your sanity, your needs, your wants. So I wish we would risk more and prioritize ourselves more.
0: I love that. Alyssa Besists hysterical. Go get that now. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us on The Waves. Thank you, Daisy. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Shannon Paulus is our editorial director. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place.